carefully consider the book of Esther, which is the last of the Old Testament history books which record the return of God's people from exile to their promised land. It is unique in that it does not use the name of the Lord or give reference to him in any way. However, it is a perfect example of how God controls the strings of history to fulfill his plan of redemption. In 539 BC, Cyrus invaded Babylonia, and like Assyria, they became a colony of Persia. One of the first acts of Cyrus was to allow the Jewish exiles to return to their homes, carrying with them the images of their gods and sacred vessels. Zerubbabel led the first group, and eight years later, Ezra led the second group back to Israel. Both groups came from Babylon. The events of the book and Esther occurred approximately 20 years before Ezra led his expedition back to Jerusalem. How history turns on the smallest of details. There was no Esther, there will be no Nehemiah. The book of Esther is set in the third year of the reign of the Persian king Assasuerus in the Persian capital Susa, which is about 1,800 miles from Babylon. The name of Uzzah is equivalent to Xerxes I, who ruled from 486 B.C. to 465 B.C., which would date, and this date of the event in Esther would be 483 B.C. The book opens with a description of a huge banquet given by Xerxes that lasted for months. Persian records reveal this affair was actually a grand planning event for the invasion of Greece by Persia. The campaign involved more than 5 million men, resulted in a, resulting, a resounding defeat for Xerxes at the Battle of Thermopylae. At this banquet progressed, the king desires to display the beauty of his queen, Vashti. Some scholars believe that the request was for her to appear only in her crown, a gross violation of the rules of the harem. Others say no, she was just a strong-willed woman who would not put herself on display for a bunch of drunken warriors. Whatever the reason, it was a flagrant rebellion, and if allowed to stand, would have incited the other wives of the others to do likewise. She had to go, and so the king disposed her. Now, a replacement was necessary, and a search for beautiful young maidens began. The search began, and after a time, several young women were brought into the citadel of Susa and given the care of Haggai, chief lady in charge of the harem. Esther, or Hadassah, her Jewish name, was among them. She was among the small group of the second selection that pleased the king and was moved to a year-long beauty spa in the palace. <clears throat> All of this special group had a one-on-one with the king, and at the end, the final selection was made. It was Esther. She became queen. Mordecai, aware of the undercurrent of the prejudice against the Jews, had instructed Esther, do not reveal your heritage, and she was careful not to do so. Queen Vashti was disposed in 483 B.C., and Esther became queen in 479 B.C., and after the, the king's defeat by the Greeks. God creates the circumstances so that Mordecai learns of the plot of the king's life. He tells Esther, who is now queen, 
and she tells the king. Xerxes, grateful, does nothing more than to record the incident in the king's chronicles, but that will be, bear much fruit later. The other main character, Haman, a Persian bureaucrat, now appears. The king promotes him, elevating him above all the other nobles. He is full of himself and expects others to kneel in honor to him when he comes to the king's gate. Mordecai refuses to do so, and Haman is enraged, avowing to fix this disrespect. Haman is the first political figure in the Bible to plot the total extermination of the Jews. He convinced the king that the Jews were not loyal subjects and did not follow the king's laws. He suggested that the king should not tolerate it, but destroy them all. He, Haman, would add to the treasury to pay for the executioners. The king said, so be it, and signed an edict, which could not be changed. As God was still in charge and, and, and as the lots were cast for a date, it turned out to be a year from the date. Mordecai was able to inform Queen Esther of the impending disaster, which would include her also, and urged her to go to the king for mercy. The problem was that anyone who approached the king in his inner chambers without being summoned would be put to death. But she decides to do so and asks first that all Jewish fast and pray for three days. She makes the God-honoring statement, if I perish, I perish. She was willing to give her life in an attempt to save her people. At the end of three days, she puts on her royal robes and stands in the outer hallway until invited by the king. He asks her for her request, but she just invites him and Haman to a banquet she has prepared. That night, the king was unable to sleep. Guess who was behind that insomnia? He reviews the king's chronicles and finds nothing was done for the life-saving information from Mordecai. Haman's in full-blown ecstasy for being invited to the banquet, so when the king asks, what should we do for honor a person who has been of great benefit to the king, Haman extinctly thinks the king is referring to him, but the king is referring to Mordecai. Later at the banquet, the king asks again, what is your request? And she very submissively pleads for her life and that of her people. <clears throat> When the king learns of the subterfuge by Haman, he has Haman hung on the gallows prepared for Mordecai. The king could not reverse his edict about killing the Jews, but he issued another edict that gave the Jews the right and the means to protect themselves. They did so and soundly routed those who were set to destroy them. Afterwards, there was great joy, and the Feast of Purim was established to celebrate God's deliverance, a reminder that God has a plan for each of our lives, a plan that is directly enmeshed with his great plan. We, however, have to take our stand, just as Mordecai and Esther did. May the peace of God be with you today.